The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org. In seminary, we spent the better part of our entire first year in a class called Writing Your Spiritual Biography, Autobiography. We had to look back on everything from birth through childhood and adolescence and forward through the lens of our beliefs or religious experiences or journey. To begin with, the exercise, the whole of it, made me realize that you and I can write any number of autobiographies about our lives. Depending on what lens we choose, we can write the story of our relationship to nature or to relationships or the journey of our own sexual history or identity, our journey with food or family, our education, or our journey with illness. And people have written those kinds of memoirs through those lenses, so many prisms through which to understand and make sense of our lives. So in anticipation of Friday's planned extravaganza of joy, I thought I would write or think about and reflect on my dancing autobiography. I think one of the working titles was My Life as a Dancer, <laughs> which probably was misleading. Technically, like Carmen, I was not a dancer, at least not in the way we traditionally use that word, not professionally, so you can drop your hopes right away. I had a good friend in seminary who was a trained ballerina, but proximity doesn't mean much, does it? My introduction to dance and training did not begin as early or as intensely as hers did. In third grade, I took a few jazz classes. In sixth grade, at the ethical culture school that I attended, every Friday, we'd end up on the rooftop deck under glass and girders for a square dance. It was fun, except I'd had a growth spurt, and only one boy, Kamudi Kuteme, was tall enough for me to dance with. And when I was paired off with anyone else, it felt awkward, but I wanted to dance then. Some people grew up dancing, like Carmen. Those gorgeous scenes that she shared with us this morning. I love that image of someone throwing sawdust on the garage floor and striking up music, or the polka priest some Catholic whirling dervish, modern Gregory of Nyssa, showing up. At our retreat this past Memorial Day weekend, how many people here were at the Memorial Day weekend retreat? Okay, so some of you remember. We have a talent show. I mean, some years there's more talent than others, but it's always fun. And this year, Craig Cover played a waltz. And all of a sudden, a whole bunch of people got up and started dancing without much ado. All of a sudden, there on the dance floor were sisters who'd been fighting moments before, 
couples with small kids who didn't get nearly enough time together, leaving their kids behind with the rest of us on the floor, smiling in each other's eyes, friends and new acquaintances just grabbing one another and getting up there, and there were people who looked like they absolutely knew what doing a waltz was supposed to look like with all this grace and fluidity. And then there were others who had no idea what a waltz looked like. And all of it was the most gorgeous, moving, soulful moment of the year for me, just watching it. There's something gorgeous about all the joy and abandon that was up there. It was healing, it was uplifting at a time when, oh my God, how much healing and uplifting do we need and want and crave? And we're talking these days about resilience and the need for connection, right? And reclaiming joy in our lives when we got so used to shutting down. And dance feels like this truly sacred portal to all of that. And it was clear that we needed more of it. So we <laughs> scheduled last Friday and included English country dance, which I'd never done before. As a teenager, I started dancing. To this day, when certain songs come on, often it seems like most often in the dental hygienist's chair, because I think she loves 80s music, and I'm immediately transported back to this dark junior high and high school gym floor. And then starting at about 16, I grew up in Manhattan, friends and I would go to dance clubs. I know the, I, the bouncers knew that our IDs were fake because they were horrible fakes. But to this day, I'm super grateful to those guys for letting us in. And two things, I think, came very clearly out of those nights. One was that my hearing is on decline faster than it would have been. And the second is that I think my therapy bills in the future went way down. Because all of this angst and complicated emotion of teenage life just got worked off on the dance floor till it was bearable. Yeah, dance can be healing, though I don't think we do it for that reason. The woman who called the English country dance at the extravaganza of joy on Friday, she said I could share the story. She told me that some point in her life, she lost all four parents, her husband's and her own, in a very short period of time, and she went into this depression for years. And then she said she found English country dancing, and it was the joy of it that pulled her out of her depression. It's healing, though we don't always go into it for that reason. It's like we get this door prize as we head off the dance floor. We do it for the joy of it, I think. I do. In college, all my roommates danced. One of them would periodically, when we got stopped at a red light in her car and a great song was on the radio, give the signal, which we all came to recognize, which meant that we were to immediately jump out of the car as she cranked up the song on the way out of throwing open her door and we were to dance in the street until the light turned green and then dive back in. And to this day, I can see her blonde head and her body wildly dancing 
in some sense of all the other drivers laughing and sometimes honking in approval. The joy of it. Dance, this gift that can happen anywhere, anytime. Each year, some of my favorite memories are the moments of dancing in the car, <laughs> alone or with friends on some journey or running an errand. But it was about the time of those rooftop dances in middle school when I was going through a growth spurt that my future with dance had a moment of jeopardy. It was about that time at age 12 or so that an uncle of mine pointed out that I was in, quote, that gawky stage. Annie Dillard in her book, An American Childhood, writes about the moment she becomes self-conscious and the fact that she would wake to it and never again be able to completely escape it. I know what she's talking about. It's hard to want to dance when you're in that awkward stage. There seems so much vulnerability in dance. To me then, for sure, it felt that way. Maybe some of you know what I'm talking about. But this is a good time to bring in Martha. It was about the time that I moved, that I hit this awkward stage, that I moved to an apartment in New York that was one block, as luck would have it, from the Martha Graham studio in New York. And I would try and peek in the windows as I walked by. And always you would see these dancers of all ages, entering or leaving, entering brilliantly put together and leaving a little sweater, sweatier and looser of limb than they ever entered. I would have said definitively at that time that I was not a dancer. In every way, not trained, not dancing. Martha would have disagreed. From what I can tell, reading about her and also about what she said in interviews, Graham seemed to think that dance was the universal invitation of the universe, a natural and spontaneous response to the gift of life. Think of the magic of that foot, she said, comparatively small, upon which your whole weight rests it's a miracle, she said, and the dance is a celebration of that miracle. She would see dance and maybe embodied life as a whole as a means of expression because she said, the body could sometimes say things that words could not. For Graham herself, dance was tied up in this sense of destiny and calling that she had, but we all had a calling, she thought. There is a vitality, a life force, an energy, a quickening that is translated through you into action, she once said. And because there is only one of you in all time, that expression is unique. But she continued, the body is a sacred garment of that expression. The body. 
It wasn't just some clever mode of transportation, but this corporeal reality granted to us, engineered innately for some expressive purpose. She also supposedly once wrote, nobody cares if you dance well, just get up and dance. Great dancers are not great because of their technique, they are great because of their passion. I never heard Graham speak while walking by that studio all those years, but maybe I was infected by her, by some virus that leaked out the doors, stuck to her sweaty dancers, and then to me. And thanks be, because I needed to dance. I needed a life that, in part at least, allowed me to be a dancer. And so in some ways, my autobiography begins here, I think. Imagine, it's the summer between seventh and eighth grades. Zoe Weaver has been authorized by her parents to bring a few friends to a house in the country, as we called anything outside of New York City back then. You are invited, probably because Zoe's parents don't want her to be bored at the anniversary party that they are throwing for themselves that weekend. You don't remember much of the day, but there is this piece that stands out. It's the Saturday night of the party, or the weekend, the night of the party. You are at the edge of some lawn there's the happy chatter of party conversation going on all around you and adults holding their bubbly adult beverages and there are lights hung around and a DJ playing music, music you like, music you know the words to. You've not gone to the school dances yet because you feel self-conscious. All that recent growth of limbs elongated like so much spaghetti makes it hard to be in your body or to trust it. So there you are, a kid who leaps into any sport with alacrity, who loves to be in motion and somehow you have frozen in the face of dance because it's this place where grit doesn't matter as much as grace, you've told yourself, and this thing called rhythm. So you stand fixed at the edge of this grassy outdoor dance floor, so conflicted between desire and ability, hope and shame. And then you notice something. You notice the adults dancing. I mean, you really look at them. And not to be rude, just to be honest, if we're assessing skill, the vast majority of them are pretty average. I mean, there are a couple who look 
pretty great out there and who seem to know what they're doing. But the rest, and there are more than a few tonight, well, we don't need to put a word to it, that's not helpful, but you know what I mean. And it comes into your head in that moment, one of those thoughts that you think before thinking it, it pops into your head like a revelation of the most ordinary and timely and gorgeous of permissions. I can do that. I'm not any worse than those folks. And in this instant, a whole lot of worry and resistance falls away like invisible chains around your ankles, but also around your heart, and you step out onto the dance floor and do whatever it is you did that night. And who knows what it looked like, but no one really cared, did they? And the adults knew that the point was to dance. And so even if the autobiography of Dance for You didn't start that night, in some ways, it totally did. The high school dances, throwing open the car door at a red light. Fast forward 30 years, it's summer, your best friend, her niece, your daughter, and you, like a replay of some Tom Sawyer suckering Huck Finn, you're all out repainting your friend's wooden railing on her front porch while you visit her for a week of vacation. And just when you finish, the summer storm blows in, and there's this flurry, and hands grab paint, cans, and brushes, and drop shoes at the door, and wash our hands in the kitchen sink, and someone turns on the music. And the four of you who have done this before erupt in dance, wet with sweat, making sure not to touch the couches or the walls with the paint that you still have on your clothes. You laugh and you throw back your heads and you sing along and everyone is engaged in this ancient ritual of thanks for this body, for this day, for this foot, for this life. And what it calls out of us in all the ways it does, embodied, if passion is what makes a great dancer, then unseen by the world through history, and in this room, there are great dancers afoot. They show up in gyms and kitchens, in cars, at stoplights, and anywhere that the spirit moves and the body with it. Dancing is a gift, Dance, dancer Judith Jameson once said. You're supposed to do it. It's like breathing. May we all know such moments as part of our spiritual autobiographies. Bless the times we yield to the call to leave the mess and the disappointments and the heaviness and the awkwardness of life at the door and surrender to joy, to yearning, to passion, calling to us out of this divinely embodied life. So bless this day and each dancer in it.
and let each day be a dance we do. Amen. So 20-some years ago, I was sitting with a gentleman from India who was a Vedic astrologer. He looked at me and said, you're a dancer. And I looked at him and I said, you're mistaken. <laughs> sure, I've danced in my life. Coming from a German and Hungarian heritage, we grew up dancing polkas and waltzes in Minnesota. My parents had their favorite polka bands, and sometimes on a Friday or Saturday night, we'd go out to local ballrooms and we'd dance. Weddings, major birthdays, sometimes family visiting from Hungary, we'd dance. Someone would clean out their barn or shed or garage, throw some sawdust on the floor for our feet to move more smoothly, we'd find a local band, and we'd dance. One of my favorite memories as a youngster, and I might have shared it here before, but it was one of those Sunday mornings when my dad got us all to clear the furniture from the living room, and he declared a family dance lesson. He and mom had gone out the night before to a polka mass. There was a priest called the Polka Padre, he played the accordion and would offer a mass where all of the music was polka music, including the Gloria, the Holy Holy, all the mass parts. My parents loved to dance, my dad especially, so he was gung-ho to share this love with all of us. I know it was a good time because here I am 50-plus years later, and I still talk about it. It was such a grand moment. It was just my parents, us six kids, everyone dancing with each other, and learning the art of polka dancing. As fun as that was, and as much as my family still enjoys dancing, it didn't quite seem like it carried the meaning of what this Vedic astrologer was declaring. I began to ponder his statement, and I still do. In some deep place, it does resonate. And it calls me to be more attentive and deliberate. It feels similar to how I've come to relate to the word artist. I'm not an artist in any traditional term or form one may think of. So I have come to claim that I live my wild and crazy life as an art, creating and co-creating as I go. And now the added thought of being a dancer, as the Oxford Dictionary says, one who moves rhythmically to music, a person who moves in a quick and lively way, a series of movements that match the speed and rhythm of a piece of music. I can get down with that. I enjoy thinking of life as a dance, it's not unusual to hear that Carmen is always in motion, and though at some level that may be true, it's not without form or purpose or music directing me from within. I can hear the music. 
I do believe that it is growing up in a large dancing family that has given me my love to work and dance with others, sometimes leading, sometimes following, but always loving someone or some group to dance with in everyday rhythms of life. It's such a magnificent feeling to discover people with whom my steps are in sync, or to find companions who are not afraid of a little improv dancing, making it up as we go along. Sure, sometimes I can trip over my own feet or step on someone's toes, but it's not the end of the world. I can learn with continual practice and ask forgiveness for overstepping or bumping into another as I twirl too quickly or without a little grace. If I fall, I can ask for a hand to help me get up. If my stars are aligned for me to dance, then I will gladly claim it, joyfully and fearlessly.